Books, The Final Frontier. These are the discussions of the podcast Sword and Laser, its continuing mission to explore strange new science fiction and fantasy novels, to seek out new characters and new beverages, to boldly read where no one has read before. Go to patreon.com slash sword and laser to join the mission. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's oh so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and of course, awesome discussions from fans just like you. You know, some people do it for the lulls, I guess, still these days. We do it for the love. The love of the reading, the love of the book club, the love of the people. Mm Mm-hmm. The love of the drinking. Mmm... Not drinking anything today, though. Me neither. Crap. Well, <laughs> I guess that one didn't pan out. Not so um, much. I'm not drinking for no particular good reason, honestly, other than like, eh, it's Wednesday. I don't feel like having a drink tonight. That's funny. We had uh, we have Whiskey Wednesday at work. Mm-hmm. A small group of us. Yeah. Whiskey aficionados um, at 4.30. And then I had uh, my boss was in town, so there was like a team happy hour. Mm. And then we met. So in, you're not having a drink for the opposite town, reason. Because <laughs> I already had three, um, but gotcha. spread out over a very long time, and with lots of food and water. I what kind of whiskey did you even have? feel buzzed at all? Um, I had Teelings actually um, Ooh, when I was Teelings in Ireland. Yeah. yeah, I went to the Teelings Distillery. I almost I caught myself before I said, you know, I had that. Oh right, you were next to me when I had it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You were standing there drinking it also, right? And for, actually the beer I had at the happy hour was uh, Guinness. So I guess I learned good yeah, habits. Yeah, good habits. Definitely good habits. I wrote a little short story this weekend that took place partly in Ireland and uh, had a brief appearance by Versailles that was very much influenced by our trip. That's confusing because Versailles not in Ireland. No, uh, but uh, in the in the short story, it's set in the future, far in the future, mm-hmm. uh, and the main character lands in a in a transport center uh, near Versailles, and then transfers mm-hmm. to a transport that takes him to Ireland. That sounds like that would have been a perfect solution to so many of your problems. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I didn't really have that many problems. Why? Just like traveling. Oh, yeah. If we had faster transport, that yeah. would have solved a lot. Uh, no, this this one ends up with him killing someone. And then oh. I, re- I realized, <laughs> I realized, spoiler to the end of the short story, uh, I realized that I had named the character after Bart before I had decided to kill him. <laughs> so a friend of ours. Uh, and so after I was rereading sp- the story, I was like, I think I need to change the name because I, I don't want Bart to take this the wrong way. <laughs> He was so kind and generous to us know, while we were no. there. That's you just like, kill him oh, off. I'll name this character after Bart. And then by the end of the story, I'm like, oh, also he dies. Oh, maybe I shouldn't name him Bart after all. Awkward. <laughs> yeah. So he's Awkward. not he's named Pat now because he's Irish. <laughs> 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 all right. Well, let's uh, let's jump right into the quick burns. Ah, uh, Mark pointed out that the New York Times is publishing op-eds from the future. What? Uh, the latest written by a sword and laser author. I mean, we, they're not a sword and laser author. They're an author we've read. Uh, we don't own them, but uh, we are fans because it's written by Fran Wilde. Uh, her 
op-ed is called Please Stop Printing Unicorns. <laughs> Bioprinters are not toys and parents shouldn't give them to children. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. Yeah, yeah there's going to so be there's going to be uh, links to other op eds uh, from the future in the article, including some written by other familiar authors like Ted Chiang, Hanu Rajiemi and Stephen James. Yeah, this is, a, this is a, a really cool idea. I like this idea of of, you know, being able to make some commentary that's maybe not quite so uh, third rail for people by setting it in the future. And Fran, Fran just has a blast with hers. It's fantastic. She's such a great sense of humor. Um, I, this kind of reminds me of actually the short story collection that I wrote my short story in, um, which was the, like the Kickstarter campaigns. It was a John Joseph Adams. So why mm-hmm. can't I remember the name of the book? Uh, but it was the, the one that I did my short story cat assassins in, which was uh-huh. a Kickstarter or a Kickstarter like product, uh, where robots. they were Heads raising the money. Robots, right? It did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> and it was just really like that kind of humor, I think, was was throughout that that collection as well. Very cool. Dara says Entertainment Weekly has a preview of N.K. Jemison's upcoming novel, The City We Became. The story is an expansion of her short story, The City Born Great, which you can read over on tour. You can also find the story in How Long Till Black Future Month from the article. The city of New York comes to life, literally, as in the city has developed sentience and an ability to act on its own, Jemison teases to EW. And because there's a dangerous otherworldly tourist lurking about trying to supernaturally gentrify the city to death, New York chooses five human champions to fight for it. Problem. They don't know they've been recruited for a magical interdimensional battle, although they figure it out pretty quickly when possessed toilet stalls attack, backyard pools turn into portals to Monsterville, and traffic on the FDR becomes a literal tentacled killer. How many times has this happened to you? I mean, this is, I mean, how is this even science fiction? You show up for a job, you think it's just going to be, you know, data entry. And the next thing you know, you're fighting possessed toilet stalls. Yeah. The next thing you know, the the monitor of the computer that you're working on turns into a portal by which the evil undead are able to pass through from the other world. I hate it when my phone grows teeth. It's the worst. The worst. Uh, anyway, ripped from today's headlines, it's uh, the city we became. This this looks great. I mean, I love everything that N.K. Jemison does, of course, but uh, this is this is uh, really a really good take. I uh, can't wait to take a look at this. Mm-hmm. We also got Louie posting that Andy Weir's story, The Egg, was adapted into a short film by Munich-based animation studio Kurzgesagt, uh, which is uh, the, in a nutshell, folks, uh, I don't know how to say it any more than anyone else does. Uh, but in a nutshell is a great way to say it. And uh, in a nutshell, super popular and pretty cool that they turned anywhere story. What's funny is uh, Brian Brushwood brought this up on Cord Killers this week and I hadn't watched it, so I didn't know what he was talking about. But he was pointing out that he had meant to show people in a nutshell as an example of branding and then got oh. this story instead. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, well, I guess they're experimenting with things. And it turns out it's an Andy Weir story. That's super cool. 
That's amazing. Already, this, uh, if I do say so ourselves, this episode of Sword and Laser has made me want to read and buy so many things. <laughs> like, I want, like, I've already opened up the tabs to read Fran Wilde's story. I like, I can't wait to read this novel from N.K. Jemison. This, I'm going to go watch The Egg, like, immediately after we finish recording. Like, I'm stoked. There's so much cool stuff. And I'm so happy to see so many authors having, like, new and different outlets to tell their yeah, stories yeah. and share with people like i think that's it. what a time to be alive mm, indeed and uh i don't know i feel like worldcom kind of kind of stoked that fire in me a little more oh, too like like seeing seeing other people enjoying stuff seeing authors interacting with people and reading their works and so that's uh, so cool totally and says bustle has a list of 20 sci-fi and fantasy books from the 2010s that you definitely shouldn't miss it's focused on female and lgbtq writers uh, from what Anne can gather though it doesn't say so specifically but being bustle that would totally fit in with with uh, the kind of stuff they like to share um, we've got some great popular ones on here that we've read in the past, including The Calculating Stars. Uh-huh. We have Binti, Ancillary Justice, uh, Vicious by V.E. Schwab, uh, tons of great stuff, uh, Blackout by Connie Willis, uh, Redemption and in Indigo by Karen Lord. Uh, basically, there's if you need to add more stuff to your to-be-read list, like this is going to be a really cool place to find some picks you might not have noticed before um, or had a chance to pick up throughout the past. Oh, gosh. 10 years now, yeah. almost. There's a lot of stuff we've read on here. Yep. Among others by Joe Walton is on Jade here. Jade City is on here. All the Birds in the Sky is on here. Yoon Holly's Nine Fox Gambit is on here. It's a good, it's a good list. Oh, yeah. This is a super good list. <laughs> yeah. good job, I'm not man. just saying that because I've read a bunch of these either. Uh, then Dara's back to let us know that Ursula K. Le Guin's Earthsea cycle is being adapted for TV. Uh, A24 and producer Jennifer Fox will be adapting it with Le Guin's Blessing, which she gave before she passed. This will be the first adaptation of the Earthsea cycle that has her approval. Oh, my gosh. Uh, There's more over at Polygon. Uh, You know, adaptation, in development, not much else to say at this point, but it looks like it's happening. Very cool. Very cool. In other adaptation news... Charlie Jane, speaking of which, uh, tweeted the other day and is written on Deadline.com. Yes, it's true. Now it can be told. The incredibly smart humans who translated all of the coolness of the expanse to the screen are now turning their giant brains to my book, The City in the Middle of the Night. I'm so glad I no longer have to freak out in silence. And uh, the executive producer of that is going to be Sharon Hall. And man, I feel like Charlie Jane probably knew about this at Worldcon and was just like holding it in, like deep inside, being like, I want to tell everybody about this now. So congratulations. Sure. Sharon Hall also did Utopia, which is a fantastic series. So a couple of good hits on Sharon Hall's uh, credits there. No wonder Charlie Jane's freaking out so much. That's pretty great. Uh, then Stubble wrote that earlier uh, Daniel Henney, known for his roles in Criminal Minds, Hawaii Five O, has joined the cast of Amazon's Wheel of Time series. He's going to play the Stoic Warder and Blade Master Lan Mandragor, and he'll be joining the other cast, which as of yet consists of Rosamund Pike as Moraine <laughs> and five unknown young actors who've shown great acting skills in the few projects they've been in so far. Uh, you can see Wotan Prime's Twitter account uh, announcement of Daniel Henney's cast. Uh, Hollywood Reporter has an article about it too. And filming is expected to start in this finally on September 16th, exactly 12 years after Robert Jordan passed away. Rosamund Pike, not as many people thought in the Twilight series. 
<laughs> right. Different, different, uh, <laughs> different Rosamond. That's, yeah. that's called there a, is that's a called a, that's called that's a callback. Call no, yeah, I get it. A, I'm picking it up. Back. Don't worry. All right. <laughs> uh, hey folks, we're very excited to have a sponsor for this <gasps> week's show. Uh, and I think maybe you might be uh, a few of you excited too. So let's <laughs> pause for a second while orphan blacks, Tatiana Maslany tells you about a special offer for sword and laser listeners. Orphan Black, the next chapter, is exclusively on Serial Box. Serial Box is serialized fiction in synced audio and ebook bundles from best selling authors delivered to you weekly. Sword and Laser listeners can get an exclusive discount on Orphan Black, the next chapter, by visiting serialbox.com slash sword and laser. She said our name. She said our name. <laughs> she said Sorin Laser with her mouth parts. <laughs> In her so own exciting. voice. In her I know. own voice. I know. That was pretty crazy. That was not a deep fake, folks. No, it was a real it really deal. Wasn't. It was a real deal. I, I when when we were talking to them about uh at this advertisement, uh at one point. I said, oh, so you want us to read the part about sword and laser? He's like, oh, well, you could, or we could just have Tatiana read it. And I'm like, do that. that That's that fine. One, that, that second one, you could do that. That's better. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty great. All right. Uh, so yeah, and 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 what a cool uh, way to extend the series. I mean, how many series have we heard about that have been extended uh, with audiobooks or comics or something like that? And I know Orphan Black fans like myself uh, have been looking forward to, to more stories. So very cool. Very exciting. All right. Well, now it is time for Barrier Sword, which is our feedback from the audience. Gary, also known as at Senior Geek 49, says, reading Trail of Lightning for Sword and Laser? Want your own boker? Better hurry. And then links to Amazon, where apparently you too can be the owner of a very fine seven and a quarter inch stainless steel blade. It is the Boker Plus O2 B0 160 Valkyrie knife. Wow. Yeah. So that's that's it's a reliable outdoor knife, Amazon says. If you want to be a monster hunter, this might be uh important equipment for you to have. This might be a good one for you. Although I feel like without I f- it, does it come with a sheath of any kind? Does it come with a You should definitely of, get a sheath. You got to get the sheath. <laughs> yeah. I think that that's probably important. I don't know if I'm saying that right. It's got the two little like dot dots over the O. It's like Boker? Boker? Yeah. Boker? I, th- I think that's, uh, if I'm, I'm going by what Boker? I remember from the audiobook. No, I oh, don't you think listen to a... the audiobook. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I you think... know how to say all the things in this book, right? I mean, if I remember them, but you know, at my age, memory's going. So. <laughs> okay. I, was I say that you. after reading Gary's tweet and who's, who's going to scoff at me because <laughs> he's got me beat. Uh, hey, I uh, got a review of the Poppy War by Sword and Laser group member Robert, uh, Robert Lee over at RantingPenguin.com. Yeah, this was a, a really great review. Um, Robert is one of our San Francisco Sword and Laser book club members. And uh, I he's he's a great writer. Uh, he gave Poppy War 8 out of 10. Mm. Um, but I definitely recommend you head over there. We'll put the link in the show notes to his full review, um, which is very extensive and, and quite well written. Thank you, Robert. Yeah, good job, Robert. And then we have a thread over on Goodreads from Frederick, who says, what is the average sword to sorcery ratio in fantasy? 
He says, so I'm reading God Blind, and while there is real dark gods taking part in the story and the world so far seems to be pretty grounded in medieval, which I think holds true for most epic fantasy for understandable reasons, it's likely much easier to create a convincing world and human drama when the laws of nature, for the most part, work as we expect them to. However, it's also fun to read about spell slingers casually bending or breaking the familiar rules of causality or just following different ones from ours. And thus, I pose these questions three. In second world fantasy fiction, do you agree with my impression that low magic worlds are more common than high magic ones? Whether or not you agree, what do you think the average sword to sorcery ratio is in fantasy fiction? And finally, what are your favorite fantasy books or series where magic users, i.e. wizards, sorcerers, Jedi, Asendai, etc., are an acknowledged and fairly common part of the world? He says, the Wheel of Time and the Mazatlan book of The Fallen are my two default answers. I could name others, but I'll leave it there for a start. Oh, and try to stick to original worlds, meaning please avoid Star Wars or D&D or other licensed novels. So are there a lot, and I know there are some, are there a lot of fantasy books that don't have magic in them? Yeah. So I mean, I know there are some, but I'm having a hard time (laughs) thinking of any that I read and enjoyed. Yeah. So Allison pointed out, like, do you mean low fantasy in the sense of more magical realism slash hard fantasy where magic is limited and has rules? Low fantasy, she says, originally meant fantasy that took place on Earth with Earth settings and structures, while high fantasy meant secondary world fantasy. So in the original sense, I think high fantasy is much more common in epic, heroic or sword and sorcery type fantasy books. So there's yeah, there's it's kind of confusing for me because I don't really think of it in these terms. Frederick says, yeah, I'm talking about second world fantasy and low magic versus high magic. Okay. And then Trike says, I don't think one sub genre dominates. The balance seems pretty even to him. And I don't know how to separate out sword and sorcery into distinct categories as they usually go hand in hand. I would hazard Trike says that contemporary fantasy and urban fantasy feature magic over cutlery since we don't use swords much in modern life. Exceptions, such as the Trail of Lightning and the Iron Druid series, stand out because swords are regularly used alongside modern things like iPhones and pickup trucks. And I have to say also the Kate Daniels series by Alona Andrews, she also wields a sword. I feel like actually swords are kind of common in urban fantasy for some reason. I, I have a feeling that all of our talk up until this point has really been beside the point. Uh, okay. I, I don't well, want to say I don't want to say pedantry, but it's a mm-hmm. little bit like getting diverted. Like I don't think if I get, if I'm reading Frederick right, I don't think he's worried about whether it's cutlery or not. Uh, the the main thrust of his point means seems to be how many books have just a little bit of magic, right? Where where mm-hmm. most of the rules of causality are are followed, and the magic very obviously has rules in which it can change causality, but causality is there versus the sort of high magic where wizards are all powerful and the, you know, the rules of the physical world just don't apply. They're all out the window and I'm Gandalf and I can do whatever I want. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's a really interesting question because like I said, and I, I started this by going like, well, how many don't have some magic? But that's not even his main his main point. He's like, do you agree with the impression that low magic worlds are more common than high magic? Yeah, it seems like mm-hmm. people who write fantasy, especially 
in the more modern veins, whether it's sword and sorcery or urban fantasy, uh, tend to want to have rules of magic, right? I mean, it's one of the things I love about the Patrick Rothfuss works yeah. is that, the, you know, you know what the rules are in that world versus just kind of saying, oh, magic can do anything, right? Which is... Yeah. I think we often actually give more credit to a book where, like you said, there's a very clear magical system and rules around that. And we like to say like, oh, we really like this, the magic system in this book because we like, it makes mm-hmm. sense to us or it's it's unique or interesting. But I think part of the reason we like it is because it's understandable in some way. And that to me almost makes the world feel more real, makes the fantasy more believable and more like I can relate to it because mm-hmm. there's something like, oh, I could see how this could work or, oh, this could, you know, that would be kind of cool if I lived in that world because I could just do this. It avoids and, the deus ex machina problem yeah. where it's like, well, well, I guess anything could happen if you can do get away with that. Like, why well, yeah, didn't you like just Gandalf kill is totally OP. You yeah. Know? Right. Like, <laughs> so there's, there's things and, or you can be like in the world of the magicians where certain people become very powerful because they break the rules or or hoard a resource or do something that's, you know, not typical of the normal magic using set. And so that's, you know, interesting in, in that regard. Um, when you do get someone who's a bit overpowered because they've they've done something that breaks the rules or goes against the regular laws of how magic works in that world. What I do like about a Gandalf and why I don't think Gandalf ends up being problematic is there are limits. You just don't know what they are. You puny human cannot comprehend what the limits on a Gandalf would be. Uh, what it would, you know, what a wizard's limits are, but there are limits, right? Cause he, he can be imprisoned by another wizard. So it doesn't feel like, Oh, well, why didn't Gandalf just, you know, wave his staff and cure everybody. Take care of all this. Know? Like, obviously yeah. he can't destroy the ring. The ring has to be unmade in the fires of Mount doom. So, um, there, I don't know. There's something, there's something attractive to that sort of all-powerful, mysterious wizard, but it it can get out of hand real quick. So I think that's why we all like the the rule-based stuff. What's interesting is we're talking about this, though, is I feel like Trail of Lightning by Rebecca Roanhorse is kind of the high magic. Because mm-hmm. there's gods in that world that yeah. can kind of do whatever they want. And and there are there are certainly limits to what they can do, but there's not a very detailed system of magic. As, well, as you, even... Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, no. I, I, I was just saying, as you might describe it. And even in that world, the well, we're jumping into the book talk a little bit, but the clan powers are pretty random. Mm-hmm. Like there's no, we don't really understand how they work or how people are given them. And that feels too like in a more traditional system where you would go to magic school and learn how to use your magic. And some people might be better than others, but everyone's typically endowed similarly with the baseline of magic ability. Let's get into our book of the month discussion and it will be non-spoilery. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you, if you haven't uh, read trail of lightning, uh, unless you're, you're a spoiler purist and you don't want to know that it has magic <laughs> or <laughs> anything said like it that. It has clan powers. My yeah. Uh, but if we won't spoil plot points or anything like that, um, uh, book jacket spoilers only at the worst. I think that the lack of a magical system is not a problem in Trail of Lightning because I don't feel like 
any of those gods are unlimited in their powers, right? Uh, uh, there's the coyote who obviously has limits because he has to ask people to do something. There's there's the 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 god that trained our main character. There's the the gods that that sort of feed the clan powers somehow, and it's a little bit it's a little bit mysterious how that works and how it might happen, but but. Obviously, it's not something that they can do all the time because it leaves characters exhausted. So, so there are limits. It's not like oh, there's no system, and so it's just you know free for all. Uh, but the but there's no system the way you would have, say, in the magicians or or uh, Patrick Rothfuss. Mm-hmm. And that's not a bad thing. I guess that's what I'm saying is it's kind of a fun rock'em sock'em world because of that. And it really does. It, it reminded me in a lot of ways of Hounded of the Iron Druid series mm-hmm. um, in in the way that it incorporates these 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 gods, these creatures uh, from the heavens that are both being worshipped, but also are made made material on the earth to cause and wreak havoc and in, intertwine themselves in the daily going goings on of of human beings and to to you know for good and for bad one thing that i was surprised uh by this book uh that i think may may, may people may be uh, a little bit surprised is it is not as ecological as i expected from the promotional mm. materials uh the the ecological disaster that is the basis of this world is out there and it's referred to um, and it, and it seems very consistent, um, but it's not really other than providing the setting and the mm-hmm. limits of the setting, uh, does it really play into the, 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 the plot at all? It all takes place in, uh, the, the land of the Dinata. It's, it, you don't venture outside of that. And so you don't really run into the, the problems with the great water, uh, that happened outside. Well, so. I mean, it, it sets the scene. Yeah, yeah. That's a good way of putting it. It sets the scene. Because everybody in the book is dealing with the mm-hmm. fallout of that disaster in some way or has been impacted story. by them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And so you do get a lot of that. I thought we might get, I don't know, I don't know, cascading floods or something. I don't know what I thought, but I, <laughs> I thought that that would make up a greater I portion see. of it. And and really it's like, well, yes, that has happened and it's caused all these other things that we have to deal with now. But the the main thrust of this story is the return of the clan powers and and the presence of the gods and and her, the main character's dealing with her own manifestation of clan powers and her discomfort at that. And there, there certainly is a lot of metaphor going on in her relationship with the God who trained her uh, mm-hmm. and her dealing with the falling apart of that relationship. And there's a lot of interesting parallels to abusive relationships mm-hmm. uh, that that are said with that. I, I, it never gets graphic, but that's, that's something you should know is that, you know, you're, you're going to see some metaphor to that sort of thing in there. Yeah. I, I'm curious to know how the, I know the next book is out, I believe. Um, I haven't had a chance to, to pick it up, but I, I would love to know if they do venture out of the, of the world beyond the wall and see really what's going on out there at some point. Is that what I thought I would get in this book? Is that going to happen in the next one? Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and when I say I thought I was going to get, that's not a, like, I'm disappointed. I didn't get it. It's more of a like, Oh, okay. I got something different and definitely enjoyed it. 
Uh, yes. Uh, the second book, Storm of Locusts, came out April 23rd. Fantastic. Well, I don't want to talk about the book too much um, because I don't want to get into spoilery territory. It is still so early in the month, um, but there's still plenty of time. It's a quick read. So if you haven't started reading it yet, uh, definitely make sure to pick up a copy somewhere. Uh, it's on Kindle Unlimited as well. So if you're a Kindle Unlimited member, you can grab uh, Trail of Lightning for free as part of your subscription uh, there. Also, the audiobook is supposed to be great. I've heard people saying they really enjoyed it. I know really you listened read. to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that would be that that would have been a cool way to to read it as well. Um, but yeah, still time in the month. So so get on get on it and join in on the discussion over on Goodreads. Yeah, we'll uh, do the, the spoilery wrap up uh, on the next show in two weeks. Um, we'll say that definitely like Maggie, Maggie, you Maggie like Maggie. Oscar. Oh, yeah. Maggie kicks ass. She's great. You know, I like Maggie. Kind of got annoyed by Maggie sometimes. Oh, yeah. No, she's she's definitely you're screaming at her sometimes. Like, what, yeah. what are you doing? What even are you doing? Yeah. Stop being so emo. Suck it up. But you kind of understand why. And in the end, she's tough on the outside, but putty on the inside. Well, and in the, in the end, when 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 the putty starts to come out, she's like, well, screw that. I'm just going to kick someone in the face. That's my <laughs> <laughs> that'll solve this. <laughs> and and it's not it's not like I think that's how we should deal with things in real life. But sometimes it's just pleasant to see a character be like, you know what? Screw it. I'm yeah. just I'm just going to take care of this. Kicking. Kicking solves problems sometimes. <laughs> sometimes it might, you know, it might, like with it might a make you feel better. That has a candy bar stuck in it. Yeah. But then you break your toe or it falls on later. you and then, yeah, and then you yeah, die. And that's not good. Uh, on that note. Thank you so much for listening to Sword and Laser. Our show is currently entirely funded by you, our patrons. Uh, you can learn more about how to support the show over at patreon.com slash sword and laser. You can also support the show by buying books through our links. You can find links to the books we talk about and some of our favorites at swordandlaser.com slash picks. Send us an email at feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. And you can call and leave us a voicemail at 4157-SWORD-6. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there. 